Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com It began with a build-up of troops that sent shockwaves across the world. New satellite images tonight show Russian forces at the ready near the Ukrainian border. Russia pushed more forces to Ukraine's border than at any time. We're not sure exactly what Mr. Putin is up to, but these movements certainly have our attention. After a fortnight of urgent, high-level meetings, the West has issued a warning. There would be massive consequences for Russia in the case of an incursion into Ukraine that would carry a severe cost. Here's the deal. I've made it absolutely clear to President Putin, that's the last thing I'll say, that if he moves on Ukraine, he'll pay a terrible price. But the Russians aren't backing down. There will be confrontation. There's no trust in NATO as an alliance. We are no longer playing these kind of games and we don't believe in NATO's assurances. Are we heading for war in the new year? And what does the Kremlin really want? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times with me, Manveen Rana. Today, will Russia invade Ukraine? It was two weeks ago, today. When the history of this period is written, it'll probably go down as the most important video call of the pandemic. The world was only invited to view the first minute. We were shown a surprisingly bland room, beige and brown curtains, beige and brown walls, and the huge obligatory flags when one head of state is addressing another. There was Putin sat at a big table opposite a big television screen, plasma television screen, with Joe Biden. That's Mark Bennett, our man in Moscow, and a close Putin watcher. Putin was speaking from his residence in Sochi, which is a resort town on the Black Sea coast, where the Winter Olympics were held in 2014. And he was speaking on what the Kremlin said was a secure video line, which had never been used before. It was just been put into action, especially for Putin and Biden's big talks. And they were big, big talks. Talks came after weeks, really, of very high tensions around Ukraine. In the brief snippet we're allowed to see, Vladimir Putin looks restless, 
moving stationary around a perfectly smooth, glossy table, while President Biden makes that classic pandemic error. He's muted himself. There you go. Hello. Good to see you again. Unfortunately, last time I saw, we didn't get to see one another at the G20. I hope next time we meet, we do it in person. Joe Biden tries to charm the Russian president, but Putin, with an impassive expression, merely shrugs. Two weeks later, as tensions on the Ukrainian border continue to rise, the world is left trying to work out what took place in the rest of that video call. I was following it, and I was also following the, the readout from it afterwards and the quite contradictory readouts, I think. Peter Conradi, the Europe editor of the Sunday Times, has been trying to make sense of that meeting. The first official readout from the American side seemed to claim that Biden had been talking very tough to Putin, that he'd made clear to him that all sorts of terrible consequences would follow if Russia invaded Ukraine, mostly economic sanctions. So the first impression, or the first readout that one got, because obviously one wasn't allowed to listen to the call itself, was that Biden was being tough with Putin. Then subsequently, Biden let slip, one could almost say, that in the course of his discussions with Putin, as well as being tough, he'd also held open the prospect of talks on what was called the security architecture of the region, which sounds a fairly sort of arcane term, but was immediately interpreted by a lot of people in Ukraine as a suggestion that America was prepared to look at the whole arrangements for security in Central and Eastern Europe that had prevailed since the end of the Cold War, and possibly, just possibly, allowing Russia some kind of a veto over whether Ukraine in the future would join NATO or whether it would join the EU. I mean, that, that must have sent alarm bells ringing across Ukraine. It did. I mean, it sent alarm bells ringing not just across Ukraine, but also across its neighbours, Poland, the three Baltic states, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, other countries that used to be in the Soviet orbit, who immediately thought, well, this is, you know, this is, would be bad news for Ukraine, but what would it mean for us? You know, is Biden essentially saying to Putin, the Soviet Union is no more, but these countries are still potentially still in your sphere of influence, which then the next day then provoked some rowing back from Biden, uh, a series of phone calls with those Central Eastern European countries and also particularly with Ukraine, assuring them that he wasn't planning anything of the sort. So it, it's very, very confusing picture that's been left after this diplomacy. But the, the main takeaway from it, I think, is that a number of people are in, U in Ukraine are worried and they're, they're, they're worried that America might not have their back. Those fears only grew at the end of last week when Russia spelt out its extraordinary demands. They include rolling back the US and NATO alliance military presence in Eastern Europe and Central Asia. The Kremlin also is demanding NATO deny membership to Ukraine and other former Soviet states. They want to roll NATO back to its position in 1997, 
which would mean taking away military support from countries like Poland, Estonia, Bulgaria, all of the 10 countries who've joined NATO since then. With the Russian military at Ukraine's door, America seems to be pushing back on Russia's demands. We're going to put on the table our concern with Russian activities that we believe harm our interests and values. I have high confidence in our capacity to see what has been a significant Russian military buildup in the vicinity of Ukraine and in Ukraine itself, in Crimea and other places. Peter, you've just been in Ukraine. We've seen Russia, you know, sort of threatening Ukraine in the past. We've seen them marching in and taking the Crimea a few years back. But just even recently, earlier this year, we sort of saw troops amassing at the border. What's different now? Why does everybody think this is a very serious threat this time around? I mean, if you talk to people in Ukraine about the threat of going to war with Russia or Russia going to war with them, the reaction is, look, we've been at war with Russia since 2014, when Vladimir Putin took advantage of kind of chaos, a sort of a change of regime in Kiev, the capital, to send troops into Crimea, uh, which was part of Ukraine, to seize it, to annex it to Russia, to send sort of troops often without uniforms, posing, as Russians rather euphemistically put it, as, as tourists into the eastern part of Ukraine, its sort of former industrial heartland, and sort of join separatists there fighting the Ukrainian government and triggering a civil war which has been raging ever since 2014 in the east, which has so far claimed the lives of 14,000 people. Tonight, joy in the streets of Moscow. Thousands strong, bellowing the Russian anthem, welcoming Crimea back to fatherland Russia. You've had this continuing conflict going on in that part of the country, the eastern part of the country, all these years. But what has happened in the past few months is that there has been a growing concentration of Russian troops around the borders of Ukraine. There are thought to be something like 100,000 of them. Now that they're still on Russian territory, Russia has the absolute right to have them there. But, you know, the question is, why are they moving there? American intelligence reports have suggested there could be as many as 175,000 troops there by the beginning of next year. So Putin is clearly saying something with these troops. Is he planning to invade? Is he just trying to put pressure on Ukraine? So that's, that's one side of um, things that have uh, caused alarm both in Ukraine and in Western capitals more generally. The second is a growing war of words, I suppose you could call it. It's been unleashed by Putin on the Ukrainians, starting with this extraordinary 5,000-word essay, which he apparently personally wrote in, uh, in the summer and published, which was a kind of a history of Ukraine, but from a very, very Russian point of view, going all the way back you know, through the centuries. But more ominously, it contained suggestion that essentially Ukraine could never really be a truly independent country. It could only be a sovereign state sort of under the tutelage of Russia. So you put these two things together, you think threatening noises, threatening troop movements. What does this mean for Ukraine? It just looks very, very ominous. 
And Peter, for the people of Ukraine in the middle, I mean, you've just been, what is it like for them suddenly finding themselves at the centre of a, a geopolitical struggle with Russia pulling them in one direction and the rest of the world making supportive noises but not doing much else? It's quite a curious situation because I was in Kiev, the capital, which is several hundred miles from the front line. So, you know, this does not feel like a city at war. There's no panic buying. I mean, there's probably less panic buying there than there was in Britain during the first weeks of COVID. (laughs) Shops are full of loo paper. There is, you know, there is no mass exodus. People are just going about, about their business much as they would do normally. But you know, you talk to anyone in, in, in politics, anyone who follows these things, you know, there is the concern that Russia is going to do something. I mean, when I was there, I, I went one evening to meet a group of reservists who were in a little a little hut on the edge of, of Kiev, about, I think, a dozen or so men, one woman, all from various walks of life. There was a, an architect, there were several people from business, uh, a photographer, and so on. And they were basically learning, on the occasion I, I went, they were, they were learning about communications, sort of communications protocols when you're at war. These people are all training to be sergeants in the reserve army of what will eventually be about 250,000 people. And, you know, talking to them, when I asked one of them, a charming 41-year-old architect, you know, do you think... Russia is is going to invade. And he said, you know, for me, it's not a question of if Russia is going to invade. It's it's when Russia is going to invade. But we're going to stop them. You know, we're going to we're going to fight to a man and, and, and to a woman. And there've been a sort of a series of opinion polls that came out towards the end of last week saying that something like 70 percent of Ukrainian adults said that they would be prepared to fight the Russians. I mean, these reservists because of sort of problems with supply they don't they're not actually supplied with weapons by the Ukrainian Ukrainian authorities so what have they done they just gone out and bought their own I was talking to a 28 year old businessman doing doing quite well and he was he was telling me that he bought himself a an AR-15 which is a kind of assault rifle of the sort that are used in some of these awful American school shootings or whatever. And he's bought this and he's bought all the kit, which is apparently quite readily available in uh, in Ukraine. Some of his, his fellow uh, reservists have, have gone for the sort of the classical Kalashnikov solution. And, you know, they're all there with their weapons every Saturday in the, in the forest just outside Kiev, practicing for when the Russians come and, you know, practicing for how they're going to repel them. I mean, Peter, that's, I mean, that's a really alarming way to live. You know, the idea that it's not if, it's when. You know, there's lots of rumours now that there would be an invasion in the new year. But even if that didn't, didn't come, there's a sense that it will at some point soon. I mean, is it just incredibly difficult living next door to modern Russia? I, I mean, I think Russia, fair enough, you know, is the neighbour from hell, basically. <laughs> I mean, you know, the fundamental problem is that Russia used to have an empire and it's lost its empire and it still hasn't come to terms with losing its empire. I mean, any country, Britain went through the same thing, France went through the same thing, but in, you know, in the case of Britain and France, our empires were a, were a long way away. So perhaps it was a little bit easier for us to, to come to terms with having lost them. The problem is that the Russian empire is, 
adjoining Russia. And, you know, for that reason, the Russians are just determined to make trouble for Ukraine. They just do not want Ukraine to be a viable state. And this is, this is partly because they don't want Ukraine on principle to be independent of them. They don't, certainly don't want Ukraine to join NATO. They don't want join Ukraine to join the EU. But there's also another point that there is a danger for Putin in particular that Ukraine could become a successful democracy. I mean, it's a democracy now. It's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty much an economic basket case. But it's, you know, it has a fair political system with changes of power and so on. Putin's fear is that Ukraine could become a sort of a model and that people in Russia, people particularly in the opposition, will see Ukraine and they will try to turn Russia into Ukraine. They will try and demand democracy in Russia. They will try ultimately to unseat Putin. And so he has to do everything to make sure that Ukraine remains a sort of a failed kind of state, a state with problems, a state that doesn't really control its own borders, a state that's forever looking over its shoulder at its threatening big brother. And, you know, that is just going to continue. It does feel like there's been a series of incidents reported recently where Russia seems to be sort of on manoeuvres in different parts of Europe. Is that all seen as part of the, the same play, effectively? You know, for example, we've seen trouble at the border in Belarus. Is this all part of the threat? I think it's always very difficult with Putin to say whether this is all part of a big concerted master plan. I think we like to have this this image of, of Putin sitting almost like a Bond villain, stroking his cat, planning what he's going to do next. I think a lot of what he does is is reactive. The you mentioned the the refugees, the sort of the deployment of refugees through Belarus, kind of a Russian semi-fiefdom, I suppose, just to the west of Russia, sending them through into Poland, which caused a, a big crisis a few weeks back. And I was at the time up on the, on the Polish-Belarus border, watching and speaking to some of the, the migrants that managed to make it through. That, that, that was sort of a flexing of muscles, it seems, by Putin. We've also had various shenanigans involving Russian gas shipments to Europe, suggestions that Russia was deliberately holding back supplies to, to demonstrate to Europe quite how dependent the continent is on Russian gas. Various things taken together, which I think are just it's part, of the, part of Putin's attempt to say, particularly to America, a relatively new president, you know, hey, I'm here, I'm still a powerful guy, Russia is still a powerful country, you may be fixated by the threat from China, but Russia is there. Take notice of us. We want respect. And, and that's always been Putin's policy. We've had periods when it's been stronger. We've had periods when it's been weaker. And I think we're heading into one of these stronger phases now. And does that flexing of muscle, does it make it even harder for the West, you know, if they had the appetite, which it seems they don't, but would it make it even harder for them to act if he, if he did invade Ukraine? I think the, the problem that the West faces is that Ukraine is much, much more important to Russia than it is to the West. It's been an independent country since the Soviet Union broke up in 1991. Not just for Putin, but for a large number of Russians, Ukraine is, is really sort of part of Russia. There isn't a great difference that between the two. They kind of, the, the border has moved so many times over the years. There are a lot of people in 
particularly in the east of Ukraine, who speak Russian rather than Ukrainian. And anyway, the two languages are, are very, very similar. So for, for Putin, this is a real matter of principle. You know, he's never really got over the loss of the Soviet Union. As far as the West is concerned, will America send troops to fight alongside the Ukrainians against the Russians? No, it won't. And Biden has made very clear to Putin that America won't intervene militarily more than just sending 150 or so advisors. The same, the same with Britain, the same with the rest of Europe. You know, we are not prepared to fight for Ukraine. Ukraine is not in NATO. We're not obliged to defend it under the terms of, of NATO's treaties in the same way that we would be if Russia invaded Poland or Germany or anywhere else. Putin knows that we in the West will never do as much to defend Ukraine as, you know, he will in a sense to, to attack it. How far will Russia go? Could this be war? How does the crisis look from Moscow? We'll have more in just a moment, but first. Hi, I'm Matt Lawton, and I'm the Chief Sports Correspondent at The Times. As sports journalists, it's important that we look beyond what we're seeing on the pitch, look beyond the action, and hold those in power to account. It's essential that we scrutinise, we ask tough questions, we investigate areas where we may believe there's corruption, we try to expose the drug cheats we may suspect of denying a clean athlete an Olympic medal. We can only ask those questions, we can only pursue those kind of stories thanks to the subscribers at The Times and The Sunday Times. So subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Thank you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So Europe, America, and the NATO alliance are clearly alarmed. 
watching Russia's every move. In Ukraine, as Peter found, people are gathering private weapons, preparing for what might be an existential war. But what about the Russians? Well, let me reintroduce you to our man on the ground. My name is Mark Bennett. I'm the Times and the Sunday Times correspondent in Moscow. To understand Putin's thinking here, for us, watching from this end of Europe, it looks like this is, you know, a restless Russia flexing its muscles and, you know, it's on the march. It's trying to expand its territory potentially. What's the view like from Moscow, the view what's happening? Well, I mean, for Moscow, it's it's NATO that's the aggressor. I mean, as in Moscow, as in the Kremlin, as in the government, it's NATO that's the aggressor. It's NATO that has been moving its forces towards Russia's borders. It's NATO which has been sent in nuclear-armed strategic bombers to within 20 kilometers of Russia's Black Sea coast. How did that come about? There were the U.S. Global Thunder exercises, which are designed to test and show off, basically, in America's nuclear deterrent. Russia says that the U.S. flew two B-52 nuclear-capable bombers to within 20 kilometers of Russia's Black Sea coast. Today, Russia said that three French fighter jets had flown up to its Black Sea coast. I mean, we often hear in the West of Russian bombers and jets flying off the coast of Britain, for example, but the opposite very rarely makes the news in the West, and it does happen on a fairly regular occurrence. The Kremlin feels surrounded. Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, for example, are now members of NATO, and the Ukraine is becoming friendly. So for Moscow, it's not a matter of Russian expansion, so much of Russia protecting its borders. I mean, Russia is like any other country. It has like security concerns. And as Kremlin-friendly analysts have said, how would Britain feel if Russia put nuclear weapons in France, for example? Or how would America feel if Russia deployed weapons to Mexico or Cuba? And we know how America would feel if Russia was, was planning to deploy missiles to Cuba. So obviously NATO says that it's no threat at all to Russia, but the US-led invasion of Iraq and the US military campaign in Libya had a massive effect on Putin, you know, and it's his nightmare, you know. NATO could come in someday to support a kind of pro-democracy revolution movement in Russia. And that's obviously why he wants to keep NATO as far away as possible. And do ordinary Russians, I mean, do they support him on this? Do they sort of see NATO as a threat at their border too? Again, it depends who you ask. I asked Alexei Navalny once if he considered NATO a threat, and he said he didn't. Alexei Navalny, of course, was one of the most prominent figures in the political opposition to Putin. He survived being poisoned by a nerve agent, but is now behind bars in Russia. When asked last year if Russia had grounds to fear NATO, 52% of Russians said yes, 48% said no, and 5% couldn't answer. And so, Mark, what do you think is going on here? You know, we're being told that Putin could invade Ukraine in the new year. What is going on? Is this actually a, a, a tactical move? My view is that Russia moved some troops around the border and they knew that the troop movements were going to be seen and they knew that the troop movements were going to be picked up by American media, which they were. And then they knew that US and NATO would have to say something or be seen to be doing something, which would then kind of, in its way, is an escalation and in a way kind of convinces the world that it's not worth getting into a fight with Russia about Ukraine or that it's not worth inviting Ukraine into NATO because Russia is against him, who wants a nuclear war? You know, I mean, who, who, who really wants like a nuclear war with Russia over Ukraine? I think that the Russians just moved some troops around, realizing that there was going to save a chain reaction, kind of escalation of kind of concerns. Biden came out and said bluntly that America won't send forces to Ukraine to defend Ukraine. So is he sort of pushing to test our boundaries to see how much we will take and, and where the red lines will be? 
Russia annexed Crimea and provided military support for troops in the Donbass. But at the moment, it's moving forces around its own territory. And I personally don't see that as crossing any red lines. I don't know what his intentions are. Maybe he's planning an invasion. The way Moscow sees it is that it's more of a threat. That if we're talking about threats, having NATO warplanes coming to the, the coast of the Black Sea is more of a threat for Russia than Russia moving its own troops around its own country. So is this sort of saber-rattling a way of, you know, getting NATO and America's attention, trying to negotiate other sort of geopolitical wins without having to go to war? I think Putin realised that Russia could just move troops around in a kind of suspicious way and that the world would see that. The perception would be that Ukraine isn't a cause that the West wants to go to war with Russia over. If this is more than a tactic to get NATO to agree to Russian demands, if there is actually an invasion of Ukraine on the cards, although America and Britain have said they wouldn't send troops, it would still unleash serious problems for Moscow, as Peter Conradi explains. All sorts of terrible consequences would follow if Russia invaded Ukraine, mostly, mostly economic sanctions, particularly sort of banning Russia from something called SWIFT, which is an electronic transfer system, which doesn't sound too much of a punishment until you think that if, if they are disconnected from it, it can essentially cripple large aspects of the functioning of the economy. And that would be devastating in Moscow. I don't think that Russia is planning to launch a full-scale invasion of Ukraine because I don't see what it would gain from it. And it has a lot to lose from doing so. It could, for example, launch a small kind of like military incursion to Donbass at some point. I, mean, I wouldn't rule that out, but I've seen that in the past. But Putin's quite unpredictable. So lots of people say that like one military analyst in Russia said recently kind of questions of war and peace are decided by one man in Russia. And we all know who that one man is. Then again, Putin is kind of loath to be seen to be doing things that are unpopular. There's no kind of like massive support for a, a full-scale war with, with Ukraine and Russia, and I don't think Putin would risk it. I mean, like war is a very unpredictable thing, and I think if Putin launches an, an invasion of Ukraine with the aim of taking Kiev, I don't think anyone in the Kremlin knows what the consequences would be for that. I mean, it could, could be the end of Putin, you know, if he does that. Not like militarily, but politically at home. Peter, you've described, you know, people in Ukraine buying weapons and preparing for war. You've got a nation of people convinced it's coming at some point soon. You've got the Russians, again, preparing for a potential conflict. You've got the rest of the world trying to work out what to do about it. How much of this will ultimately come down to the whim of one man? A lot of it will come down to the whim of one man because it's basically a calculation by Putin of, you know, how much is he prepared to risk in order to bring Ukraine to heel? If he sends the troops in, there's going to be a response from the West, but how great will that response be? And ultimately, will it be worth it? And the big danger is that he thinks that it will be worth it. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, 
Peter Conradi, Europe editor for the Sunday Times, and Mark Bennett's, Moscow correspondent for the Times and the Sunday Times. You can read more of their work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producer today was Sevda Moyasari. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. If you'd like to get in touch with us with any ideas you want us to pursue, any ideas for future episodes, or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then do drop us a line to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.